It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. Blackballed is dropping soon on The Ringer NFL feed. It's The Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. What's poppin'? Logan Murdoch here, Roger Bell there, Real Ones After Dark. Y'all know what it is. Y'all been here the postseason. It ain't the postseason yet, but it's gonna be a little... A little, a little preview to what, what's going to happen in the postseason. Raja, how how you doing, bud? What's going on? I'm good, man. I'm I I was in no, Houston no, 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 this no, 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 no. Don't lie. To, don't lie to the. Don't lie. Don't lie yet. Tell oh, okay. me. Tell us how you're doing. Well, not not great. I'm going to keep it a buck. <laughs> I got in at 2 a.m. last night from fucking Houston. You know, I was up at six with the kids, taking them to school, running around all day, and you know, like I, if it was a decent game, maybe, but. I hit you in the middle of the... I'm not... I don't want to watch that. Oh, my... I I'm know, not here bro. for that. <laughs> Let's set it up real quick. Let me set it up for bro, the people. I'm not here for rah, that. Rah, let me set it up for the people, Ra Ra. Ra Ra. Let me set it up for the people. We're talking to you guys after um, the Mavericks-Memphis Grizzlies game, which I am assuming that the Grizzlies won because we started it off... Uh, before the final buzzer, because it looked in hand for Memphis. Dylan Brooks was ball, and we'll get the stat line for you in the in the in the uh, the info and the info side. But what you guys need to know is this was a game that didn't a game between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Mavs that didn't feature Kyrie Irving, <laughs> Luka Doncic, or John Morant. I'm, I'm assuming the leading scorer was was Dylan Brooks, Raja of the. Of the seven and a half minutes that you watched, what did you see from the game? I saw. What did I see? Um, I, listen, well, you know, I, I did have a thought because I, in, I like full disclosure, I watched very little of that shit. I was immediately not interested. Um, what I, what it, what struck me was just the lack of size without, you know, Stephen Adams in there and any real big from the Mavs at points and. There were just boys like this is this isn't like I, I guess like an overarching necessarily thought about the NBA right now, but this particular game, it made me think like, damn, bro, like I could have been in there like boarding in this NBA. <laughs> what position like, do you think you could be in, in this day's NBA? Could you play the four in this in this NBA? I mean, old Raj might have played the four for a few minutes, probably not, but I would have been way more of a three than I ever was. I was mostly a two. And so, you know, I would drop down and play the three, but I'm a solid three in today's NBA. And I was, I was never known for boarding because it didn't make a lot of sense to expend the energy to go down there and try to jump over seven footers. Like I wasn't getting them anyway, but I was watching that game. Like, Oh, there might be some, there was some opportunity to get in the paint. 
There, you know why? The, the key word in that is there were no seven footers on the floor. <laughs> there were none. So yeah, there were none, and none. Of, it's crazy now because like it's really, um, and we'll probably get to this. This might be the vibes portion of this podcast, but we've really gotten to the point where it's an equal opportunity for that rebound. Now you get it if you wherever you want. If you just put in a solid effort, get get your butt into somebody's chest, box out. What you could get a board. You can get like five in this today's NBA. Yeah, I think I think that. Two rebounds per game in today's NBA is a safe adjustment. One and a half, one and a half, let's say, is a safe um, scaled adjustment just because of the lack of size and, 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 uh, uh, you know, physicality, maybe. I mean, now, granted, you're playing teams like Milwaukee and, you know, you got Joel Embiid and Jokic. And like, there are some teams out there. Obviously, this was, these were two teams that just lacked that tonight, but, so maybe one and a half is a lot, but maybe like a half a board to three quarters of a board. I think they're there to be. <laughs> All right, let's get to the shits real quick. Um, the biggest story of the game tonight had nothing to do with the game. Um, it was the it was a I think it was a first half report by Adrian Wojnarowski that Ja Morant um, has uh, entered entered a counseling facility in Florida. Um, Honestly, no more than that. No more information than that. I think it was uh, Tim McMahon, friend of the show, and uh, Woj, who reported that. I We don't know all the information, but I, I do want to ask questions to you, Raja, from a team perspective when a guy goes out in this way. And not not all, not just under the circumstances that that, um, that uh, Ja has gone through, but also I'm thinking about here in, on the West Coast with, uh, in Golden State with Andrew Wiggins, who hasn't been with the team for weeks now for personal issues. How do you, as a team, play without a, a vital piece that you don't know when he, he or they are coming back? How how do the Memphis Grizzlies go from here with Ja? Now you you don't with these types of things you never know when they're going to come back because they have to heal and figure out their stuff on their own time. So how do you deal with that? I mean, well, there are multiple ways to deal with it, but only one actually will, would work, um, and and that would be to just put said player out of mind in terms of on the court and what they mean to you. Now, clearly they're in your mind, they're in your heart. You want to make sure your brothers are good and and uh, whatever they have going on, you know, to the degree that you can help them and, and be a part of their world, you want to do that. But in terms of on the court and what they mean to you, it's just old cliche, next man up mentality. He, he, we have a job to do, uh, whether said player is here or he's not. Um it, that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Like we have jobs to do. And so if that means that, you know, Raja Logan and Kai and Kerm all have to pick it up in our respective areas, uh, then that's what we do. If it means someone gets an opportunity off the bench that, that uh, has been sitting there and, and biding their time and putting in the work behind the scenes, but hasn't really got the chance to step out on the floor. I mean, that's how, that's how careers are made, right? That's how I made my career. I mean, I was sitting there um, watching games I was only given an opportunity on a 10-day because Pepe Sanchez was not eligible for the Sixers playoff roster via trade and uh, due to his trade date reacquisition. And so, you know, is there a guy sitting over there like that that gets his name called and is able to step in and produce? And 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 whether they can or can't, that's the only mentality you can have. It's got to be business as usual, next man up, whoever's in the building and whoever's playing, we have to figure out how to get it done. One of those guys that has done that, and it's it's interesting because we talked about this person at length for like last week about how he probably could have you know messed up what's going on with the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> it's one Dylan Brooks, and I don't know if I need to apologize necessarily because I believe everything I said last week, but I do have to commend the man for playing as good as he's played since the Draymond Green incident, and he's really become weirdly the heartbeat of that team right now. Like I was watching the game tonight. He's hitting shots. He's he's they were following he's hitting shots. He's playing great defense and they're following his lead, right? Right. Where what have you seen from him? And is this sustainable? Because I think that the the Grizzlies are uniquely positioned because they are a team that has historically played great without John in the lineup. Now the record has been different this season than it has last year. Last year they were a lot more successful when Ja was out of the lineup. But they the point being they know how to play without Ja. How yeah. much will that suit them for however long he is absent for? 
Um, first of all, let's address the 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 uh, Dylan Brooks Draymond. I thought we were pretty fair. Like, I mean, at least we tried to be. D- look, Dylan Brooks. I said Draymond missed on how much BBIQ he had. Like, clearly, you know that was that was over the top. Having said that, um, you know Draymond's an accomplished player, and until you achieve something, you shouldn't really be popping off at the mouth. Now, I will echo what you're saying. Like, since then, he's played great. And he's been, he's been playing well since he's been in the league, and he's played great. And he 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 took the approach that that uh, you know it was it was them against the world in, in in Memphis, and they and they bust that ass. And so, like I have respect for that. Whether it's sustainable or not, um, it, it, it I guess it depends on what the goal is, right? If we're talking about trying to win a championship without John Morant, the answer is no. You know, if we're talking about winning enough games to stay afloat and maybe keep position until we get Ja back and Ja's coming back in a few weeks, then yes. Like, I think they've given you enough sample size now over the last two years to know that they figure out ways to win. I think, you know, that speaks to the culture there in Memphis. It speaks to, um, you know, the, the, not just the players, but the coaches, the, the the general manager, the owner. I think, you know, they've established a real solid culture that allows you to kind of withstand the absences of Ja. But, I don't believe that without him, they're going to have any legs as a playoff team, if that makes sense. But, you know, as a guy who, you know, wasn't a a, a box office like draw, but played off of sheer heart and passion and, you know, wasn't given the benefit of the doubt a lot of times for being very good in certain scenarios. Like I always pull for a Dylan Brooks to 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 continue to do what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 and and I've I've been pretty impressed with Dylan Brooks. Uh, at least I was tonight, and even after his response, um, you know, when the Warriors came to town, like I was like, "That's all right, I respect it. I don't like what you do, but I respect it. you did. <laughs> but, you you, you back hey, up your words, you that's know. What's up? Right. And but but I guess the bigger question is right. And you made a good point on um, is it going to be sustainable in a championship? Obviously not. But right now, you know, you want to. You want to write the ship. You want to make sure that it's just going steady right now. You know, like you don't want to, you don't want to fall in the standings. You just want to maintain at this point. But when ja, if or when Ja does come back, how do you foresee that integration process coming back into the him coming back into the fold? Like I think I'm of the mind that if he is good, I think the Memphis Grizzlies will be fine because they know how to play with him already because he's literally the center of their universe. Right. But do you see? Is there is there any? going to be an integration process and in getting him back in. I guess it just depends on how he ramps up. I don't think it's going to be hard for them to hitch their stride again um, as a team. Like Jaws been there long enough. They played for stretches without job before. Everyone knows how to kind of, you know, pick up a little bit of slack when he's out. And, and conversely, they know how to kind of give that slack back when he, when he shows up. Right. And it's, and it's been like that for a couple of years for injuries and different and various reasons. And you've seen them really not skip a beat when he's in and out of the lineup. Right. So I don't know that that necessarily changes, but what worries me about the reintegration of jaw, I don't know if they have 12, 13, 11 games left, but like it's getting late. Um, if this becomes an extended absence, if we're talking about another week, week and a half, 10 days, uh, two weeks, uh, what that does in specific situations and what specifically late game, what we're trying to accomplish, who's going to have the ball. And I know I get it. Everyone in the world is like, well, what do you mean? Like John Morant's got to have the ball. Yeah, I get it. John Morant should have the ball. But when you're a dude who's been doing heavy lifting for the last three or four weeks, you guys are winning games. Um, it doesn't take it doesn't necessarily take you believing that you're a better option than John Morant to screw that little chemistry up at the end of the game. It just takes you thinking just a little bit more than you should that that I should take this shot instead of kicking it. To, you know what I mean? Like it it's a fractional yeah. thing. Yeah. It just all you got to do is second guess whether Josh should have that ball. Well, you or guys not. are always and about the time rhythm, though, right? Like right. every every NBA player, any athlete is all about rhythm. And I think that's what you're alluding to, right? Is that like even if the even if the person the teammates have the best intentions, just the rhythm will be off when he comes yeah, back in. If you right. So for instance, I mean if let's let's just say John Morant's brought the ball down the court, right? Like he's brought it down, he's kicked it, 
like let's say he's he's made some sort of shallow cut through or a deep cut through to the opposite corner ball gets reversed there's there's like a a backdoor cut on the wing and then you know jaws coming out of the corner right um and, and we're playing like that and let's say that person at the top's got it and he just gets a little sticky with the ball instead of swinging it to jaw like it's someone who's been used to having it in his hands a little bit when jaw's absent just that little stickiness that 1 1000 2 1000 that's enough to 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 become super important in a playoff game. It doesn't sound like much, but when you're dealing with fraction of sec- fractions of seconds to get shots off, like that's sometimes all it takes for, for someone to fall out of sync and for the end of that game to get a little sloppy. And so that's kind of what I worry about. Like if I have to worry about something with, with Ja coming back, if he's going to miss a, much more time than he already has. Well, I think that when you, um, my concern is it is, we all know that the regular season is totally different from the postseason, and I've seen so many different players, and I'm not specifically talking about Ja because I think he is at another tier of player than the one I'm talking about, but I think it still applies in that when you drop anyone into a postseason atmosphere, it's it's already an adjustment on top of the adjustment that you're making coming after an extended absence. And I think that's what I'm more concerned about is say he comes first, I don't know, they draw a bad matchup. I don't know who they draw. Maybe they draw the – it's a 3-6 matchup. And they fall and they draw maybe the Clippers or a team that or the Warriors or somebody that they can that has their number that can that that can beat them. And you put Ja right in there and all the chemistry issues that you talk about. <laughs> Third Eye says the Lakers. Immediately. Of course. Yeah, immediately. And that's and that's the Lakers without uh LeBron or AD on the floor. They still the Laker fans got confidence right now. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> My concern is if you put them in, put him in that atmosphere where they're trying to figure things out on the fly with a team that matches up well against them. That's my concern, Ron. Well, it's a valid concern, and it's a, it's it becomes even scarier when you're talking about a Western Conference that w- when we spoke last, we both kind of said like that's you know anybody in that Western Conference should feel like they could beat anyone else, right? Like that that's just how closely packed what is that three through 10 is maybe. Um, so like when, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, teams that, that don't have fear and, 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 and aren't that far behind you in terms of pure production, like, yeah, that's a big concern. And so, you know, like you, it is what it is at this point, like jaw's not there. Um, I, I do believe that dropping him back in, if you give him, you know, seven games, six, seven, eight games prior to the playoffs, I think you're okay. I, I do. I think you're fine have, having, you know, that lineup for as long as you've had it. I think they're okay. The, the, the question is if, if that lingers. And I don't know what type of situation it is, what kind of, what kind of uh, facility he's at or what, what, the, what the prognosis is in terms of, you know, treatment and, and his return to play. But you start getting into like, yo, he's going to show up for the playoffs. And now I think you're you're really hitting like some dangerous some dangerous waters. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUVs. It's good to stay up to date, like I do with the NBA. You might catch me walking around the street. I'm listening to the Ringer NBA show, or I might be online looking at the Ringer.com, looking at some power rankings from Howard Beck, or. You know, I might listen to old episodes of real ones. And that's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps Assistant, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Nissan Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. Logan Tall, man. 
But I can tell Logan can't hoop, man. It's a shame because he's one of the smartest, brightest guys I know. But I'll rip him straight like that. Oh, it's man, like I learned in And now I want to go back to the other end of this matchup um, with the Dallas Mavericks. Both Luca and Kyrie was out. Um, Luca has a thigh injury. Uh, Kyrie has a foot injury. No timetable on when they're both coming back. But we talk about the integration process. Um, how do they? How do Luca and Kyrie integrate um, into the fold as a playoff team on the fly when they're injured? Now, I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ra, and I know you're, you 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 will do that. How do you feel? I think I think that the Luca, <laughs> I think that the Luca Kyrie partnership might be easier to solve than maybe the Memphis Grizzlies partnership with Ja and him coming back into the fold. Simply because I think Luca, Luca and Kyrie, the offense they set up is very simplistic, and it's basically get, both of them are give me the ball and let's figure it out. Let's see what happens. I think as long as they're healthy, they can reintegrate into the process a lot easier. Am I wrong in thinking that? Or, or are they, are, are, are the, the Mavs doomed? I disagree. I disagree. There we go. I th- yep. I disagree. I think that, well, yes, their offense is very simple and it's basically you go, I go, you go, I go um, in terms of Luca and, and Kyrie. They hadn't had that figured out yet. Like they haven't worked through all of the bugs and the kinks and, and got that thing working seamlessly yet. So, you know, like one, two games, I'm not really worried about it, but again, extended absences for those two versus the extended absence for Ja. I have more faith that the Grizzlies having way more uh, of a track record of doing it and, and understanding what it takes. And quite frankly, um, you know, being, being more successful at it, I think, I think they have a better chance of hitting their stride again than, than the Mavs do. And, you know, for a number of reasons, I mean, the Mavs, like, look, Memphis, if Ja were to come back and Ja is off on any given night, I mean, you still have Bain that can get buckets. You still have Dylan Brooks that gets buckets. You still have Jaron Jackson uh, that, that can get buckets. Like, there are still a lot of pieces. Um, Tyus Jones can get you some buckets. Tyus Jones. Yeah, any number of people that can pop off and get you buckets. And so, you know, I, I saw the Mavs tonight. It was interesting seeing the young, the young. What was it, Jaden? Jaden Hardy led him in scoring, and then uh, uh, the kid Green, Josh Green, was was had like twenty three. Like that was cool to see. But like outside of Kyrie and Luca, and maybe Christian Wood, I mean, I'm a Tim Hardaway fan. He's from the crib. Like I, T- Tim Junior is my guy. But like that's I, I. If one of those dudes is off, we got a problem. That's true. That's right? True. So, like, I, I think for a lot yeah. of reasons, I, I think I would go with Memphis being able to kind of pop pop back into form quicker than Dallas. So, when you're, like, if you're the Mavericks and you see those two, like, how how do those guys, like, figure it out on the fly then if they if they can't? Like, I, we're not talking about easier than that. You're right. You, you've definitely proved me wrong, former NBA player who knows a ton more <laughs> than I do about the sport. But... How do you even try to do that? Is it, yo, man, I'm coming, like Kyrie is like, yo, Luca, I'm coming to the crib. We're going to like bond and like look over, you know, sets and stuff together. Or is it like, <laughs> how do you, I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. Right. But like, how do you do that? These are, these are two guys that want to win at a high level and both at least have the goal of a championship, right? And they have to do this on the fly. This is the hand that they were dealt. So what, what do they do to, how do you build that on-court chemistry while not being on the court? Is it even possible? Um, I mean, it's possible in part, but there's nothing that can replicate like live game pressure and and scenarios in a way that would give you a look at a real live look at how we're going to act when this happens right you just can't simulate it so i would imagine there are a lot of combos there's probably some film you know there's a lot of stuff when you're traveling with the team um that's happening with two dudes and a glass of wine sitting in, in on the flight, like just kind of chopping it up. You know what I mean? Maybe with an iPad, like watching some film together and just talking out. I'm sure there's a lot of that going on. At least I hope there is. But the reality is those two just need time together, like in, 
in real games on the court um, to figure it out. They were already kind of behind the eight ball because of, you know, the, the, when the trade took place and, and, and uh, what was left in the season, but having people in and out of the lineup like this late is tough. And they play a, they play an interesting style of ball. And this is like side note, but I've seen it happen in a lot. And I've said this on the pod. I'm sure that there's some people that agree. There's some that disagree. Like, you know, the casuals that just love stars will disagree with me. People who know, know. Like, it's all right. Like, hey, shit, fuck it. I mean, you think, all right, you took Luca out. And while while the two names I just said didn't have 40, like one of them had 28, one of them had 23, they averaged like nine and seven points a game. But in the absence of Kyrie and Luca and Christian Wood with some shots available, those young bucks got some buckets, right? Like, Look at look at the bull um 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 in 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 Brooklyn right now. Why do I with Mikael Bridges? Look at Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges out here balling in front of the show. Like balling, averaging more since he's been in Brooklyn than some names. I saw a stat the other day, and forgive me for not having him like right here in front of me. Like my prep wasn't great. I didn't know I was going here, but you'd be surprised. They were names like Anthony Davis and 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 names like that. He's averaging more points per game since he's been in Brooklyn. Then, then some really big stars in the NBA, and because there's a void and there's a need for scoring, right? And so I find that really fascinating. I always do, and I try to tell people, like, look, I'm not telling you that some of these dudes who aren't stars in the NBA given Hold the on, opportunity. Hold on, really quickly, just uh, so just so people people know, I got the stat. I'm on Basketball Reference right go now. Go ahead. Um, in 13 games since the trade, Mikael Bridges is averaging 25 points. 4.8 rebounds and 2.8 assists, right? <laughs> Just so you guys know. Yeah. It's like, no, that's Kobe-esque. He's right coo- he is cooking, man. And like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I didn't even get, hold on. I didn't even get the percentages. He's shooting 50% from the field, 47% from three. Put some respect on Mikhail Bridges' name. Put, put some respect on that. Now, I'm not telling you that's going to continue. I'm not telling you his career trajectory is that. I'm just saying that like, Roger, let the vibes happen, bro. Just let the no, vibes go. No, I'm, but this is a bug. This is because this is this is what separates stars from superstars, from role players, from from guys who are journey. It's what separates. It's your ability to do that consistently. You know what I mean? It's your ability to to do that. Like we could all do that. Like we can all pop up and have thirty eight in a game and get hot and and string off a week and a week and a half of of yo yo. He's averaging twenty five over the last seven games. But it's being able to do that over the course of a season, which is the separator. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, it's not only that, though. And I know we've gone off on a tangent, but, you know, it's real ones after dark. This is what we do. Um, but the fact is, when when you talk about those other guys, the Jaws, the the Stephs, the LeBrons, the Kevin Durants, the Giannis's, the Jokic's, the Embiid's, um, the Jason Tatum's, um, when you talk about those guys... It's not just scoring the basketball, man. You have to be this like you have to be the face of the organization. You have to be able to affect the game, even if you score twenty two on six or twenty two shooting, but you had fifteen rebounds and eight assists, right? And that's your bad game. You know that's sure. that's what it has to be, and it has to. You have to be a consistent threat. There's a there's a major difference between stars and and non stars because everybody can ball, but there's still levels in the NBA. No, without question. Like there, of course, there are levels. Um, and yeah, there's a lot that goes into being a superstar. Like I'm not off the court, on the court. Um, my point is that, like, and I've said this before. Like when people ask me why is you know, like, hey, we're gonna throw, I don't know, thirty million a year at this guy because he was in Charlotte, averaging nineteen points a game. And I'm like, yeah, they suck. And nobody could score. So, of course, he was averaging 19 points a game. You put him on a good team, he averages 10. You know what I mean? But NBA players, NBA teams, and an NBA game, there's a certain amount of points that have to get scored. No Wait, matter on. who's on you the court. To, now, I need, now, you have opened up a little, uh, a low, low rabbit hole right now because I got questions. So, right. when, when what you speak of, right? Basically, great score on a bad team, which is what we've seen time and time again. Great score on a bad team, get the bag. And shout out to y'all for getting the bag because, you know, I got no beef. Get the bag. Yeah. But when that happens, there's always those one or two guys. And now I'm just spitballing because I just have these questions. 
there's always every year that guy that gets the bag that you're like, how did he get the bag? Like, I definitely watched League Pass, and I, I did not see – like, I know he scored a lot, but I also seen a lot of games where they lost by dub. How does that always happen every year, Raja? Tell, riddle me that. Riddle you that. Well, I mean, it's a hard thing to quant- – it's a hard thing to write, like – it's a hard thing to decipher whether or not that is a ability, an ability to score the ball that will translate on my team, which is a good championship-level team. And I have maybe a number one already, and I'm looking for him to be the number two. And, and I think that that's not a volume scorer or a scorer that just had more opportunity and therefore scored more points. I think that translates. Um, it's a hard thing to decipher between that or, hey, man, he's doing that because, you know, he's just the best scorer on a bad team and points have to get scored. Like, and so you're going to see people miss on that. Like, it's not an exact science. Like, it's, you know, sometimes that guy winds up being a player that can play on a championship level and be really productive. The other times, and we've seen a lot of them, that player goes somewhere else, they get the bag and they're never that again because, you know, you're now asking them to play for something rather like like in terms of championships rather than for something in terms of points yeah. or contracts and, or contracts. And so like, while I don't begrudge anyone getting paid or anything like that, but that's, you know, that's what people are doing behind those closed doors. That's what gets people fired. That's what gets people execs of the year. Like those are, those are hard conversations. And then on the flip side of that, finding the guy that doesn't score a lot of points, like let's use, let, I'll use me for example, and I really do this, but I'll use me for example. Like, I hadn't scored any points in Phoenix. I mean, in Philly, like none. I was averaging like two points a game, right? Then I went to Dallas and I started half the games and I sat half the games and I scored probably like five points a game. And then I went to Utah and I was averaging, I don't know, maybe 10 points a game. But figuring out that like a piece like me was going to help a Phoenix Suns team. Is, is less of a credit to me and more of a credit to the people who saw it in me in Phoenix. No one, I didn't shoot Did, did you threes. see it in yourself? Did you see it in yourself? Well, well, as a player, you always have confidence, right? Like, I think I'm, I think I can hoop. I, I think, you know, I want to bite at that apple, but you have to, you have to understand when you looked at my analytics, like I probably shot a decent percent from three, but I wasn't shooting a lot of threes. So you don't know if that's just because I don't get the volume up or if it's because I'm a good shooter, right? Like, um, it, it, defensively, I was probably good, but not. There are some things that you would have had to like forecast as as someone sitting there in a suit and say, "Hey, we think that that, even though it doesn't score a lot of points and isn't super flashy, we think that that's something that when we get it, it's going to get better." And that's a hard thing to do because I got better when I went there. Like I was up to fifteen points a game and first team all defense and fifteen points. Like, well, I could tell you here, like, yeah, man, I think I was confident I could do that. I don't know a whole lot of general managers that were looking at me like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, but I think like it's also I think I think you're a case of this and I see it around the league. They're just guys that get the right cosigns that they earn. Like I would say in your case, you didn't make the Spurs, but you still got that cosign, you know? Like the Spurs fuck with you enough and that trickled around the league. And you see certain guys like that, right, where um you know, they may not, they may not like, you may not be stat line darlings, but they always seem to be on these teams because pe- they have a reputation around the league about right. they were these types of players. They were these types of players. Now, do they always get paid? Not necessarily, but they win a lot of the time and they, they wind up being integrated into the fabric a lot more than those guys that, you know, just score hella much and get their back. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, that, you you always need guys that, you know, I always, I always, as I bounced around from team to team and there were plenty of people that were more talented than me and maybe even more talented than like some of my teammates that were playing roles on some of these teams. And like friends, close friends and family would ask me what was up with said player and I'd be like, yo, he's just too good for his own good. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but not good enough. So they could, they could never really figure out like, and I've said this before, anyone who's, who listens regularly would know, like they're just too good to think that they should play that role. And they're just not good enough to get the role that they think they should have. And so it puts them in this 
really weird spot that lets somebody like me come in and say, listen, I have no disillusions that I'm supposed to play that role, but I'll gladly play that one. Yeah. And you get you get snake for your job like that because there are boys out there that are hungry. <laughs> <laughs> right we, both, I mean? we all know somebody that we've all worked around somebody like that Rob. right and and that's what oh. it is and, and it's like look but i mean so anyway let's let's go all the way back to the dallas mavericks um be, be, because be, i would in general circumstances tell you that if Kyrie and luca were out let's say mid-season somewhere somewhere uh where there was a lot of meat left on the bone and some of these young players were able to take control of the offense in a way that showed Luca, Kyrie, uh, J. Kidd, and company that they were capable offensively. I think I could make a case for that being ultimately a good thing long term, right? But because we're yeah. sitting here with twelve games left, and you know, Kyrie, Luca is still an experiment that needs to be tinkered with. Um, I don't. I don't. I think they revert right back to like, yo, young fellas, go stand over there and watch. And ultimately... Because they inherently you, probably won't trust those other people. Like, no, they've seen no, what they've seen, and no. they, they're them. They're probably not going to trust them. Not yet. Uh-uh. Absolutely not. And so, not when it matters. And so, I guess it takes me right back to what I said to you when you asked me about the Mavs or, or Memphis. If either one of those dudes is off, and you don't have somebody, you know, two more guys that can hold you up, like, we, we got a problem. Yeah, that's what's tough about the 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 Dallas Mavericks, man. It just seems like every and this is the tough thing about always trying to trade for the star and trade and do the th- and to cover up the mistakes that you made. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just really want a systematic buildup for the Mavericks, right? Like, the reason why this isn't working is because you traded for Kyrie to. I mean, obviously, you traded Kyrie because you wanted Kyrie. He's a very talented dude. But on the surface, it looks like you traded for him just to get a – when you're deemed better Jalen Brunson, who you lost for nothing in, in the offseason. I kind of just wish – like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm going to give the Lakers some credit right now. But, like, I watched their game over the weekend, and okay. I really like the team that they built around – I don't know what it's going to be. You know, I don't know what's – like, but I do like the team that they're building around AD and LeBron. Like – Vanderbilt, you know, Austin Reeves getting some good action. Um, just, you know, Rui is out here killing it. But they seem like they're building something and building a team aspect from the trade that they got where it seems like the Mavericks are just trying to put a Band-Aid on something they didn't do. And I really wish – I really want better for that team because they're not – it doesn't seem like they are building something right now. They're just covering up past mistakes. Well, I think I think it's hard to – I mean. I can appreciate that you might feel that way. I sir, I, I, I think that this is an effort to build. Like we have Luca, we pair him with another bona fide star, and that's our first step. Um, and and where you go from here will ultimately determine whether I feel like you feel, or whether I can say, yeah, I was right in the way I felt. Which is like, do we continue to do the right things around them, in in by way of pieces? that fit and can help those two get over the hump. And there's a lot of work to be done there. Now, the crazy part about the Mavs, obviously, is that you pulled that, you pulled that off and you don't even know that you got Kyrie locked up. That's what I'm saying. Like, That's what so I'm saying. That, that is wild. But I do want to give Nico and, and Mike Finn and the, and the fellas, uh, like, I think that putting those two together, whether – whether you're on the, hey, those two can work side or you're on the, hey, they play similar styles and they can't work side, that's that's irrelevant. The, the Mavs clearly feel like they can work. And so if you're talking about building and you've identified two things that you think work together, get them together. And then now I need to see what the next steps are. So maybe it wasn't a play. Like you ain't winning this year. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure they think they are, but they're not. Even if they, you know, like, you know, the, let's say you get out of the wild, wild west. Yeah. You're not you're not beating whoever's coming out of the East. So so question. Do you think last year's Mavs team is better than this year's Mavs team? Right now, yes. Yeah. Like the well, all right, let's say this. The, the 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 team that beat Phoenix in the playoffs, 
yeah. is better than the team that I last saw with 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 Luca and Kyrie. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. But that's and hopefully, and for their sake, hopefully they take a step back to take infinite steps forward. But that's the it hope. just seems, but. It's a big summer for Dallas, dude. It is a huge summer for Dallas in a lot of different ways, man. Like, say Kyrie, and Kyrie was like, he's really locked in on with Dallas right now. I saw him with the Oak Cliff uh, State Champs hat on. Like, he's really, seems like he's really in the in the community right there. But, you know, like, it, we're in March. <laughs> There's a long way to go. <laughs> hey, boy. Kyrie in March is like, hey, dog. Kyrie in March, you can go off of nothing that that Kyrie wears, says, or does in March. And again, I'm a Kyrie fan, but let's just be clear. Nothing that is worn, said, or done in March by Kyrie should have any stock put in it. Yes, absolutely. All right, man. Let's take a quick break. We're going to talk a little MVP talk and then some snow talk. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hello, Van. This is Logan Murdoch responding to you. Um, You know I love you. But dog, why does your voicemail sound like you were recording it from the gates of hell? Questions that need to be answered. And to answer your question, yes, you can rip me. And yes, I am trash at basketball. Who asked you? And we are back. Uh, OG Kerm just told us that uh, at the moment, the Warriors are beating up on your sons or I was just kicking their ass. And Chill quote, the, St- the Splash Brothers are, quote, back on their bullshit. But, you know, we're not going to talk about that right now. That, we'll, we'll see what happens in the morning and talk about that in the next episode. Um, but uh, I want to talk some MVP talk. Um, I'm going to give you a list of names that Third Eye Kai has put into the chat. We're just going to go and just talk about their MVP case and who ultimately gets it. Um, Let's talk Jason Tatum really quickly. The Celtics are 47 and 21, second in the East. What right now, at this very moment, this is March 13th, what is the case for Jason Tatum to be the NBA MVP at this point in the season? I mean, he's gotten better every year. This is the best year so far. Um, I'd have a better case if they were currently sitting at one in the Eastern Conference. They're not. But um, he's continued to add to his game. He's better around the rim. He's more physical. Um, You know, he's more of a three-level scorer than he's ever been. Um, Yeah, I mean, look. I'm trying to make a (laughs) half-hearted attempt because I don't believe Jason Tatum to be the MVP. (laughs) So I'm doing my best. Forgive me. I think Jason Tatum is just the the case of just, you know, we always have that early MVP season, MVP buzz. I think we need to enact a rule to not talk about the MVP until at least January because everybody wants to talk about the MVP in the first two months of the season to see what, what, what can happen. But he is a example of you just, you and your team have to sustain it. And it's it's tough to do that, right? It's it's tough to do that with a new coach that they have. It's tough to do it with the inner dynamics that the Celtics have. Um, I think Tatum, I think Tatum's gonna win an MVP in his career, though. I think that he is there. I'm with you. I don't think it's his year. Now, somebody who's kind of who's kind who's kind of was kind of coming up into the rankings right now is one. Is he's he's led his team to number one in the East after a bit of st- some struggles early in the season. That is one. Giannis Adetokounmpo at this point. I'm really upset. He didn't play against the uh, Warriors of Chase over the weekend. I was really upset. I, I, I missed my one time to see Giannis um, this year. That hurts. But anyway, I think he has a more compelling case right now than than ever in the, in the season. What do you think about Giannis's case? Giannis's case is always solid, bro. You talking about 31 point. 
two, 12 boards, and five and a half assists per game. And he's a defensive monster. Like, Giannis always teams number one in the East for like however many years in a row. Giannis is always right at the top of the list, man. Like, you, 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 you couldn't go wrong if you said Giannis was your MVP. In the last three years, you couldn't be wrong. I think I think Giannis Giannis is right there in the mix, especially how he's just carried the Bucks in the way that he is without Chris Middleton in the lineup. A lot of injuries in that on that team. They're still right there in the thick of it for number one in the East, and could make good with our prediction of them going to the NBA Finals because I think they're right. They can beat anyone. They can beat the Celtics. They can beat the Sixers, who I'm going to talk about right now with another MVP candidate, um, Mr. Joel Embiid. What what do you think? Of, what is his MVP case going into the backstretch of the season, Rob? Oh, man. Like, I didn't realize I was going to be making cases for all these dudes tonight. But I guess, Joel, I would say, you know, he was knocking on the door last year. I thought he had a great case to win MVP last year. Um, the Joker was, was deserving. I'm not taking anything away. But I think Joel Embiid had a very strong case for last year. Um, the Sixers are an improved bunch. I think they're still thin. Um, in terms of overall depth, but um, they're playing great basketball. I think he's leading the league in scoring at 33.3 a game, I'm pretty sure. Um, 33 a game, 10 boards, and then, you know, I know people, I've heard a lot of people about the, you know, what he beat Jokic, and that's one game, but when he got his shot at Jokic, when he got his shot at Jokic, he made his statement for like his MVP case. And I appreciated that. I'm not telling you that he deserves it because he did that in that one game. I'm saying his overall body of work, the fact that he was right there last year, and when he got his hands on the on on Jokic this year, it it was it was it wasn't pretty. So that's his case. You you can make like, you know, we just made Giannis's case of why he makes it every year. On the cool, Joel Embiid has put out MVP caliber, caliber oh. years for like the last three or four years where he's sure. in the mix and pro- and you can make the argument that he probably should have won one of them MVPs. Yeah. Right? Like he's one of those guys. Now we're gonna go to the most polarizing name of the bunch. Um, our uh, we're gonna go with Nikola Jokic, and I want to make my point after we make this argument for him. He has, I think, this is how I feel about there's. It's been a big polarizing discussion about whether Jokic deserves another MVP this season, spearheaded by friend of the show, Kendrick Perkins, who <laughs> made a bit of a stinker <laughs> online. <laughs> Wildin'. Um, but Jokic always has the numbers to back up his MVP case. Sure. But another thing that I think that he always has, and I don't want to take anything away from his numbers because he absolutely has deserved all the MVPs that he's gotten. But one thing that he always tends to get, and I think this is very important in MVP discussions, he always has the narrative on his side. And what I mean by that is, and I feel like every every year, and I feel like every MVP, I'm prefacing by saying every person that wins the MVP deserves it. However, I do think that the ones that do win it have a narrative on their side. Let's take Russell Westbrook, for example. He deserved that MVP. But what did he have all year cooking? He was always in the news for getting that triple-double, for, 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 for getting the triple-double record from Oscar Robertson. Always in the news. Um, I think back to 08 with Kobe Bryant, where was that his best statistical year? No, not necessarily when he won that MVP. But a lot of people were saying, this is an MVP for pr- years prior that he should have gotten, right? And I say all that to say, it seems like no matter what, the narrative is on Nikola Jokic's side more than anything, more than the stats, more than everything. A lot of that has to do with the stats that he has put out, and he is well deserving of another MVP. But I do think the narrative is on the side. What do you think about those? What do you think about how the MVP is put out? And how do players think about because there's always seems to be a disconnect between what I think as a media member and what players think who are actually on the floor. What do you think about how we do award our MVPs and how will that affect this Jokic MVP talk? Well, I mean, look, the Joker's cold-blooded, man. Like, deserving, you know, of at least 
deserving of awards for sure. Like I'm not going to get into whether he should have won or shouldn't have won or so on and so forth. But as we stand right now, like the numbers that he's putting up and the advanced metrics and all of that, like I'm not a true um, um, uh, 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 analytics head, but like I've heard them like they're, they're, they're staggering in some regards. Like there, there's some pretty cool stuff that he's doing. I'm not taking anything away from him. Um, I, I think that when you're talking about a three-peat of an MVP and you're talking about Larry Bird, Will Chamberlain, and Bill Russell, right? Those are bona fide, like, all-time greats. And I just think we got to be careful. Like, I don't have an eloquent, like, uh, explanation as to why I think it should go to Joel Embiid or I think my favorite is Giannis. And the reason I would say my favorite is Giannis is because Giannis's team is is better than both of their teams. Right? Like Giannis's team it's just better than both of their teams. I'm not and so you know but I I'm not mad at 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 Jokic being in the mix again. I mean he's a phenomenal player, his numbers are great. Um I think he's a magician with the ball. Uh I don't think he's had you know, the team success that, that some of those other guys have had. And I think that criticism is fair. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it precludes you from being in the conversation for winning MVPs if you're that dope. And he is. So he should be right there. He, he wouldn't be my favorite to win it this year. If he was clear cut, if his team was like the best team in the NBA um, and his numbers were just that much better than everyone's, but like, I ain't getting into, and I'm just getting into raw numbers, like points, rebounds, assists. We can get into all the analytics. I just told you, I ain't, I ain't analytic. Like, I'm not analytic Al. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not my, that's not my bag. But you're not, but like, I'm not an analytic Al, bro. Like, that's not, I ain't into that bullshit, dog. Miss me with that. But, you know, we're talking about like, you know, he, he's, he's in that conversation, but I probably go with Giannis right now because, and 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 you, I think, made a better point than I did. All of the, the stats and stuff and everything that I put in there and his defensive presence, but he was doing it minus, you know, minus like his, his sidekick and Chris Middleton for a lot of the year. And so, you know, to have them positioned at West, uh, like at one in the in the East. I'm sorry, which I think is got the heavier hitters this year anyway. Um, I think that's a, I think that's more of a body of work, dog. Forgive me. Now, when I think about this. And just the disconnect, right? Like you were in a locker room, the locker room when Steve Nash won that 06 um, MVP. And yeah. obviously he was deserving of it. But that goes, that year, if I remember correctly, kind of goes into what I was talking about in, you sure. know, where there was at least a disconnect, right? Between yeah. a lot of the population of the, bas- of the basketball community and who won the, the award. What was that like being on? the ground level of that actually happening and seeing Steve win in the way that he did being, I think, I don't know if it's a similar environment as to right now. I can't speak to that, but there, it was a very polarizing award season that year. What was it like being on the ground level for that? I didn't give a shit. (laughs) I didn't care, man. Like I was happy for Steve that he won it, but I wasn't, we weren't walking around our locker room like worried about whether Steve won the MVP or didn't win the MVP or or whether anyone else. Because you can't acknowledge there do be players that be like to us, y'all don't know shit. Like you guys don't know. Yeah. And like, you know, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. No, but we weren't. I mean, I, I, I think most dudes on teams fall into the category of they're never going to win an MVP. So why the hell am I really concerned about the MVP? I'm trying to <laughs> feed my family. <laughs> Make sure that, make sure, no, straight up. I'm just keeping it a buck, man. It's what, it's 10, it's 11 o'clock at night. Why am I going to sit here and bullshit you? I'm trying to feed my family. You know, I'm trying to get a ring if I could get it. I'm trying to make sure that I'm taking care of the business like that's right in front of me. I'm not really tripping off of which one of these dudes you wind up giving the MVP to. It has really no effect on me at all. And so as Steve went, like I was happy for my dog. I was. But it wasn't something that I was like, you know, preoccupied with or anything like that. And so, you know, I, I get it. 
if I was someone that had been putting up numbers like those guys put up and putting in bodies of work like Kobe and Steve and whoever was in the mix in that year, like it would have been something that weighed on me probably a little bit. But bigger picture, those dudes were winning, worried about winning championships. Like you think Kobe would trade like a championship for another MVP? He would. He would say, bump this MVP, give me another title. Correct. You don't think Steve would say, yo, I'll cash in both of these MVPs right now. Let me get a championship ring. I mean, the year that Kobe won his MVP and the two years that Nash won, they won his MVP, y'all didn't win a title. He didn't, like, Kobe didn't win a title. I'm sure they would have traded that shit for that. That's what I'm saying. So, like, there's bigger picture, you know? And so while, look, we can get caught up and it's always a fun thing to do in the media to kind of beat this down and then everyone, <clears throat> everyone hops on their side. And if I say anything about Jokic, I'm an idiot because I can't appreciate. Like, that's not facts. That's not true. Like, I appreciate what that man does. Like, you know, like I, I just, I see other dudes out there that are in that conversation too. I don't think it's as big of a runaway as people try to make it out to be. And, you know, like, uh, it's just the way I feel about it. Dude, I think it's a three-headed race. I think it's Giannis, Jokic, and 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 uh, Embiid right now. And maybe, you know, it'll sort itself out down the stretch of these last 13 games or so. Maybe someone pulls away from the pack. Right now, Giannis is my guy. Do you think that like a three game losing streak for Jokic or how like it will affect anything? Because usually like people go in and will say, oh, like especially it's like a horse race. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, he's kind of kind of he's kind of lagging right now. Is he going to make it? Is that going to define <laughs> his whole season? Like, right. I, I hope. I hope not. I hope it. I hope it isn't one of those. I don't. Hope, I hope it's not as trivial as like, yo, he had team played three bad games in the last ten games of the season, and so we're going to penalize him. I, look. It's a complete body of work, man. And so, like, again, that's why that's why right now, like, as as tight as this race is, and we can go to all of their stats and 30 points a game and all of that, like, if it's all that close, I'm going with the dude who's who's got his team in the best position, right, and did it with maybe less more often than someone else did. And right now, that's Giannis. Yeah. All right. Well, it's Monday. Raj is looking like he's about to go to sleep. But first... It's time to bring Kiggity Kerm out of the motherfucking cut for some snow talk real quick. All right. How you doing, Kerm? What's going on, bud? I'm chilling, watching Clay Thompson shit on the, uh, <laughs> the Suns right now. It's, it's getting a little crazy. It's getting a little crazy, Roger. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's That's unnecessary. Last time I saw Clay Thompson, <laughs> I was getting mad at him. Me and, me and Ty Bell were sitting there getting mad. He was shooting some wild-ass shots in Memphis, so I'm glad to hear he's making something tonight. We were. I was getting salty. I was like, "Oh, what? when was this? When was this in Memphis, man? When they were in Memphis, he was. Oh, yeah. He was letting the oh, clip off, and it just was not like it was not. That was such a depressing ass game, but like weirdly entertaining too, though. Like it was like they, <laughs> they kept, the Warriors kept coming back, and I'm like, I, I want to turn this off so bad. Anyways. <laughs> What's up? What's up? What we got? What we got this week, Kerm? What's going on? Let's talk snowfall. You know, right. we'll keep it brief today. Y'all y'all been talking hoops for about an hour now. It's late. Uh, so I'm going to ask the real questions. Let's get started. Who's done more for the hood, man? Leon and Wanda or Barack Obama and Michelle Obama? Keep it a bean. Hey, yo, bro. I don't know. Roger got some... I don't know what Roger's what Roger's shit is. I'm gonna I'm answer this one first to see where Rod goes with this. I'm gonna go at the very least. Leon and Wanda tried a lot harder <laughs> to get the hood vote than Michelle and Barack at this point, dog. And I don't even blame Michelle and Barack <laughs> at this point because I don't think that they going to the Jets at two in the morning and <laughs> getting into fights. To get back over into the game. Street lights. Over, over street some lights. Street lights. What do you, what do you think? What do you think, Roger? I don't what's know. Going, I just listen, on? here's what I know, man. I don't know, but I know that I hope Leon's efforts are rewarded. I hope, I hope in a way that we can all be happy for Leon and we ain't pouring a little something out for either Leon and or Wanda. That's what I hope. I still I still bet he's definitely he's going out dying this season, but he did have a good episode though. This was definitely his redemption moment, first half. The way <laughs> when they was talking about him and his girl right in front of him. But at the end, we saw him He went out like Craig from Friday. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he had the brick and everything. Exactly. He was the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. Exactly. So it, did this feel like a redemption episode for Leon for you guys? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Leon, I think Leon, uh, it's the resurgence of Leon. I appreciated, uh, I, I appreciated him f- snapping back into mode. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you could think, Hey man, I've, I've, I've gotten out of this. I've matured. I've, uh, I've evolved and something happens and you're like, man, fuck that. And I appreciated I that vehem- in Leon last I vehem- Of course, that's a Raja Bell ass answer. Of course, that is. <laughs> I vehemently disagree. Motherfucker, get your bags and take your ass back to Africa. Okay. There ain't, bro. All I kept thinking when he's sitting on the stoop with his boo boo over here, because you know, bro, like, let's be real. Big Dion was doing. A lot. He was doing a, a lot. lot he was doing a lot, bro. And like, dog, why I got to deal with this at two in the morning? Also, why am I outside? There's so many questions. Also, Leon, you got bread. Why are you staying in the Jacks, bro? Why? Why? There's so many questions. Take your ass back to Africa. That is all I have to say about that. No, he didn't redeem himself. This why would he redeem himself? He actually fucking dug himself into a deeper hole, Raja. Now yeah, I know, people, but... He wasn't like uh, okay. That's fair. If I had my if I had my druthers, I would want him to go back too. But clearly, Leon's not doing that, right? Like we've already established that. We established that on the last snowfall talk. So okay. Okay. if he ain't going back to Africa, then now what are we talking about? Oh God! Next question. Agree to disagree, bro. Agree to disagree. <laughs> to disagree. What the fuck, dude? What the fuck? What's what we got Two here? Two more questions. This a quick hit. Is Kane Hamilton the most menacing character we've seen in the show since Scully? Kane is fire. Also, <laughs> Kane out here doing double duty. Bro, he is he is Norm Nixon <laughs> in winning time. <laughs> Playing basketball, <laughs> running the Showtime <laughs> Lakers. <laughs> And, and then and, he is leaving the forum to go to the, go to South Central and, and is re- leading a criminal organization, <laughs> organization bro. And is knocking motherfuckers down. Bro, there is not a more versatile player in the game than my guy Kane, okay? And <laughs> Ama- amazing line he gave us. Franklin is a hoe and hoes make money. Beautiful line. <laughs> Beautiful. Phenomenal. Yo, he's great. He's my favorite character. What do you think about Kane, Roger? What, who is your favorite? Is, is he one of your faves? Because I think he does a great job. He's a great actor. No, he is a great actor. He plays a great, he plays a great role and a great character, for sure. No, as for the quote, Franklin is a hoe and hoes make money, I, I shed a tear. <laughs> I shed a tear over that box. I was like, this is incredible. Whoever wrote this, give him the Pulitzer now. Get him whatever. Golden Globe, everything. It's not up for Oscars, but give him for that for that shit for best right. It was great. It was awesome. Oh, What's the last question? All right, last question. You know, we got to get it back to Franklin, man. This simple question, and you can take it from just this episode. You can look at the show as a whole. Is Franklin Saint a good boss? In this episode, we saw him, you know, attack the crack game with like a grassroots type of approach, getting his hands dirty, cooking up crack and aiding his pods in the trap house when it was underperforming. On the flip side, he did burn a dude's face off for insubordination. So, you know, is he a good boss, bad boss? How we feeling? I'm, I'm go ahead, Roger. I'm very scared to hear your your answer on this one based on what you said last time about the redemption story. What do no, you I'm think? really conflicted. I'm really conflicted with with Franklin at this point, man. I think I think he's having a character crisis right now. I think he sits right on the on the on the like crux of falling apart versus finding himself and trying to get out and increasingly leaning towards falling apart. And so it's hard for me right now because I was a Franklin fan and I still hold on to that somewhere deep down inside. But I don't really love the way he's moving right now. Now, I know there's a lot that goes into that. I know there are a lot of reasons. It's not an excuse, right? Sometimes it's not an excuse, but it's a reason. So I know there are a lot of reasons, but I can't be, I got to be honest. I don't love the way Franklin's moving right now. Are you talking about Franklin State or Russell Westbrook at this point, Roger? Slow me down. Questions need to be answered. Slow me down. (laughs) Slow me down. (laughs) To answer answer your question, you saw their offense. You see offensive efficiency for the Clippers with my dog on the court, though. Versus when he's not on the court, look them up. Okay. All right. All right. So you still do it? Hey, hey. In like two weeks, he's going to do some sort of (laughs) some sort of analytics for Franklin Saint shooting two people, (laughs) three innocent bystanders. (laughs) He's going to use the same argument. But did you see the efficiency of how the the drugs were being dealt? No, Uh. he is not a good boss. The reason why he is not a good boss is why is the shit so divided? Because because he can't keep his people in check. He can't. 
He's not a good boss. That's why everybody wants to shoot him. That's why everybody wants. That's why. That's why he's in the position he's in right now because he's not a good boss. Historically speaking, he has never been a good boss. And now the now the chickens are coming home to roost. It's over. He's not a good boss, and is probably going to into his demise in this <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the season. All right. No, he's not a good boss. Don't listen to Raja. That's that's terrible, Raja. Come no. on. <laughs> I tapped out five minutes ago, bro. It's 11 o'clock, man. Wait, listen. All right. <laughs> Look, let me just tell you this, bro. You ever been a boss? Me neither. So shut the <laughs> 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 Wrap it up. Wrap it up. It's a wrap. And on that note, <laughs> that is real what's after dark. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, Kurt. <laughs> thank you, Rob. Oh my God! Thank you, Snow Talk. That has been a Monday edition of the Real Ones After Dark. I'm not sure how many more we got left after this one. <laughs> we'll see y'all on Thursday. Talk to y'all soon. Tap in all the stuff. Holla, peace. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.